Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the creator behind the iMessage app Stickerdoodle, Chad Etzel. Chad, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. I am. I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, you with Stickerdoodle are responsible for destroying more than one of my uh, iMessage group threads just with chaos and and fun. Uh, it's not all bad. Well, I mean, it's all, it's all good, but it's all bad at the same time. Yeah. And that is exactly what I want to hear. It's yeah. perfect. <laughs> Making the world a more chaotic place. Um, yes. So I'm, I'm glad to have you here to like look you in the eye and personally blame you for uh, the chaos that's ensued in my conversations. <laughs> yes. Well, you're welcome, man. I'm, yeah, I'm glad to see you face to face, even though the listeners can't see either of us. But uh, yeah, we've followed each other online for so long that now we actually get to see each other. That's cool. Yeah, it's funny too because I I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I've seen I've seen your hands a lot in your like <laughs> office, but I hadn't seen you in person. I don't think until uh, you did you did a WWDC video where right. it's like the most extreme polished version of seeing a person <laughs> online uh, that you can imagine. And yeah. So, it, it's kind of been a funny. It was kind of a funny contrast. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I don't. We can probably talk about that whole experience down the road. But yeah, that was a whole thing. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> All right. So um, before we get into Sticker Doodle, um, and honestly, I feel like with this one, your whole journey is one that I'm not as familiar with, and I'm very fascinated by because it seems like you have a million hobbies. Um, and so <laughs> I think, as with a lot of these shows, uh, this section might be might be the more interesting section anyway, but uh, sure. let's introduce everybody to who you are. So the three questions I ask everybody is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to the many things you do? And what was your career like leading up to Sticker Doodle and kind of all these experiments that you've been running lately? Okay. Well, the first two are quick. The third one is, how long <laughs> do you have? How, how, long, how long, can, what's your longest possible episode? Oh, man. Um, so where am I from? Uh, I, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, grew up there. Uh, moved to Florida for a while, um, and then went back to Atlanta to go to school, which is, I guess, related to the second question. I went to Georgia Tech, and I majored in computer science. So I guess you could say it's a formal education in computer science. It's about as formal as uh, <laughs> software uh, development can get, as far as uh, uh, education goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I kind of knew I wanted to do computers or do programming since I was really young. In my fourth grade math book, uh, sort of every 50 pages or so, there was like a little special section that had like a basic program listing. Oh, wow. Um, and I didn't really know what it was. I thought, this is really cool and interesting. What is this? And I remember I had this little like VTech 100 pre-computer toy at home and there was a button on it that said basic and I thought hmm uh, what happens if I push this button and then like type in the stuff in my math book and hit go or enter or whatever and it worked it like did stuff so I could actually program this little toy computer uh, with the program in my math book and I thought this is super cool I want to do this um and that's kind of how it started, and that's how it went from there. So I I just knew I wanted to go for school for computer science, um, 
And what I, I what like, was this toy computer? I've never heard of this before. Yeah, I'll send you a link, and there's some images, and we can put it in the show notes or something. But it's, I think it's called like the VTech 100 or 1000 pre-computer, and it was basically like a keyboard with a one by oh, wow. twelve or one by fifteen LCD screen little row and you had to put in the the code one line at a time so you couldn't you could only see the one line that you were yeah. typing <laughs> wow so this was like and then a you toy. would type run and it would go it would run the thing yeah it was so a toy who, okay so who bought this for you because this doesn't feel like something uh you know grandma instead of picking a beanie baby they pick the pre-computer 1000 uh yeah i th- i don't remember receiving it i guess i had it when I was young, I'm pretty sure my parents got it for me. Um, but I remember I liked typing on it just for fun. Like I didn't learn to properly type with it. I just, you know, pushing the buttons yeah. was fun. It had like little trivia games you could do or like math problems that it would prompt you with and you could solve and it made funny noises. And I thought this is pretty fun. But then there was like this button way on the right hand side that said basic and it went into this whole other mode. Um, and I remember if you made a typo, in the program, it would crash, you know, you'd type run and it would say syntax error, you know, it wouldn't right. work. And I would get really sad and I'd have to type in the whole thing over again. Oh, um, you couldn't save like a program or you didn't know how? Not, not really. <laughs> wow. No, you couldn't save. You could buy like a, car, a memory cartridge. But anyway, the, the punchline here is that I didn't read the manual soon enough. It, so the manual itself had like an entire basic language spec and it like taught you how to do coding and all that anyway but you could type edit and then the line number <laughs> ah. and it would it would bring it up on the screen and you could edit the line and fix your typo um but i didn't realize that for a super long time so i would have to i would retype in every the every line of the whole program to try to fix the one typo anyway so that was my first foray into deep into debugging is basically well throw the whole thing out and write the whole thing over again man that's pretty cool. And I, that's pretty crazy yeah. that you had a math book that whoever does, whoever made that thought to put basic programs in there. Like that seems very fortuitous that these things kind of would work together, but yeah, it was, I don't you know, whatever. It was just the public school system, whatever math book that they had picked for, you know, the fourth graders to use. It was, that was just the book that had it. And I, the teacher never said anything about it. We always just kind of skipped over those, but I was flipping through it and it caught my eye for some reason and I put two and two together and man, I'm just thinking my kid self, how excited I would be to realize it, it. It's like you unlock this like mystery thing, right? Yeah. Uh, wow. That's cool. Okay. Sorry. I <laughs> already got That's you pulled okay, onto yeah. a rabbit trail, but I was just <laughs> fascinated by that. Yeah. Okay. So you, you went to, eventually you made it to Georgia tech, you said? Yes. Okay. And then what was, uh, you come out of that with a computer science degree. Where'd you go from there? Right. So from there, uh, I got a job at Cisco Systems, um, and I went to their second sort of headquarter location in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, so I stayed sort of on the East Coast in the Southeast area because all of my family was there. I got married right out of high school. My wife's family's all in the South. So we were all just kind of staying in the same area. And I was there for three years. Uh, had a great time. Um, it was <laughs> kind of funny because I was this new college grad and like all my teammates were a little bit older and had kids and families and, 
you know, houses and all the lunchtime conversations were like about their kids and their houses and what, what I'm subjecting all my coworkers who are younger than me to now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now that I'm in that, I'm in that boat now where like all the new grads coming into you know, work. I'm like, what do I talk with them about? I can talk about my kids and my, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm like, what video games are you guys playing? And they're like, uh, but I, I did have a couple of really cool coworkers that we, we hung out and they, you know, were big gamers and stuff. They, they, they were super cool and I'm still friends with a lot of them. Um, so after that I was there for three years and then I kind of decided I wanted to, try something on my own this was like right around the time when web 2.0 was sort of peaking and like ajax websites and consumer what were you doing what were you doing at cisco was it web development uh no i was doing a lot of like um linux driver development in c and assembly and stuff because we were working on a new router hardware platform and that's where i sort of learned that hardware is hard (laughs) and the release cycles are a super long time it's funny that you know software you can update and ship you know same day or same hour oops there's a bug i'll fix it and push out a thing to prod and it's changed and the whole world can see the difference and you know the blink of an eye hardware there's like testing and prototyping and revs and going to the fab and getting it back and testing and if there's a problem you have to throw it away and make a whole new one and yada yada so it's like multi-year cycle and it's funny for like consumer electronics projects like you know apple makes some hardware things too um they dabble (laughs) yeah they dabble and (laughs) in general i think the public thinks that like oh, they come out with a new thing every year. They just must work on the new phone every year. Like once they stop working on the last phone, like the iPhone 12 comes out. Okay. They must have start working on the iPhone 13 and it'll come out next year. But this, you know, the reality is the lead times and the, the cycles and the project links for hardware projects is so much longer than software cycles. Um, so that was that was fun to realize and learn um so i worked on some drivers for that which is fun like low level stuff um but this is also right when like twitter was getting hot and i was uh learning how to do web development like php stuff and and fr- a little bit of french side front side javascript and was making a bunch of websites and little apps for twitter and stuff and i th- i thought oh i'm i'm a big guy hot shot i'm gonna like quit my job and come up with something on my own and go out and be my own solo founder person and you know it was it was i did that and it was tough you know i did a little consulting to make money and i worked on a few projects um and then uh but learned you know it's hard (laughs) (laughs) yeah started learning a lot of lessons at that point um but then uh several months into that venture somebody encouraged me to apply to Y Combinator and this was in late 2009. So I applied to Y Combinator in late 2009 and was accepted to the winter 2010 program. That's pretty early on, right? I think it was pretty early on. I think the first, you know, YC started in like the 2007, 2008 time period. Yeah. So it was one, one of the earlier batches. Okay. Um, and I got accepted. And then on January 2nd, like 2010, I moved temporarily quote unquote you can't see my air quotes here uh temporarily (laughs) to mountain view uh and i stayed with my aunt and my uncle uh who had a house out there so i could save on rent i i 
slept in their guest room and worked in their garage, which is kind of funny. Classic, classic um, Mountain View uh, origin story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was part of Y Combinator and the, you know, I thought, okay, I'll be out. The program was three months long. I thought, okay, I'll be out here for three months, you know, learn all the things, uh, raise some funds, do some stuff, and then I'll go back and continue this in Raleigh back where my wife still was back where we had bought a house there and et cetera, et cetera. Um, turns out that didn't happen. And what is it? 11, almost 12, no, 12 years later. Now I'm still here in the Bay area. <laughs> Got addicted to the sunshine. Well, I don't know. Like I have, I have a whole beef with the weather out here. Like I like oh, the sun. Yeah. And it must be tough over there. I say, as I look out at my ice <laughs> on the ground, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I like four different seasons. I don't know. Like That's a good point. It's a good point. Being 60 degrees and overcast every day of the year is great for some people, but not for me. I like having hot summers and cold winters and, you know. That makes sense. Like cool autumn evenings where you can sit out on the porch and enjoy the, you know, autumn sun. I don't know. Um what was what was that uh that project company itself that that got you into Y Combinator? Yeah, so they had a a list of sort of requests for startups uh, for ideas that they were particularly interested in, and I actually applied with one that was Twitter related, which I remember being RFS number three. So like the third thing on their list was like Twitter products. Oh, interesting. Um, because they thought that uh, Twitter was going to be a like a big important new internet protocol kind like of like platform, email basically yeah platform mm -hmm. like it would be, it would just become a standard protocol for the internet which we know now definitely <laughs> happened <laughs> which, uh, yeah <laughs> i mean a thriving marketplace of uh <laughs> of major companies built on the twitter protocol yeah yes and no it makes sense though i mean I, yeah, we're making yeah. fun of it but like yeah early days uh it was at the time it was unknown and this was also like right before they had kind of like laid the smack down on all the developers and said like you can't make Twitter clients. We're revoking a bunch of API access level stuff. Like we're limiting the tokens and all that, yada, yada. So I had this idea. Um, it was called Mad Chat as a pun on like Mad Hat, Mad Hatter, um, where basically it would it would take the Twitter stream and listen to ha there. At the time, there were a bunch of like hashtag chats that would regularly happen on sort of a schedule that was um you know, it was an ad hoc thing that like groups of people would do or like marketers would would have these chats about companies and whatever. And I basically made a web front end that looked more like a chat site and a mm. chat box. And you could see all these things scrolling by uh, and it looked like chat rooms. Um, and so it would help facilitate these chats and people used it um, and it was great for them. Um, but I... And and that's the idea that I pitched and that I got in with. And it sort of became evident over time that this was not going to be like a, a big enough product. And there was a little bit of, I don't know, a, a hint in the air that Twitter may be changing their policies or something. I don't know. I, I just had a gut feeling like this wasn't really going to be it. So I went to the YC, you know, people and I said, I don't think this is going to be the idea. What do I do? Like, is that okay? Can I change my mind, et cetera? And they said, yeah, it's totally cool. People change their product company ideas all the time. We, their main thing is like they invest in the people and not the idea. Right. I remember being really nervous when I went in to tell them that and they were super chill about it. So anyway, um, 
I kind of thought around for a while and eventually the thing that I actually made and launched in YC was called Notifo, which was a mobile app and a web site that allowed you allowed consumers to get push notifications basically inside of one app. It was like a notification inbox. And then any other company or service or website or band or bar, restaurant, whatever, could send push notifications to my app through Notifo. And so the customer consumers would only have to have the sort of this one app and could subscribe to places they wanted to get information from. And all of those uh, services, the like bands or restaurants or whatever, didn't have to build their own app because right. it's still currently true. It was then and is now that like if you want to send push notifications to a phone, you had to have an app on the phone to receive them. And so I basically made an API that they could ping and it would create a push notification for Notifo's app and it would be branded and, you know, have your services name or whatever inside of the app so that the people would know who it's coming from. And so that was the idea. Um, I still think it was a great idea. I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. There are currently several apps like this now. They're not like big giant company things, but they're they're useful, fun apps. And in fact, I'm contemplating remaking Notifo now that I can make apps again, uh, just because I miss it and I really love working on it so much. Um, Did you, so you had to, you had to like, like remove it from the store or totally fold it, I guess. Yeah, it didn't work out. You know, I, I tried to work on it for a while and make it go. The, the main problem was it was like a marketplace problem. Like I mm-hmm. needed consumers and I needed publishers yep. and it was hard to get one without having the other already there. So it was like I had to build both sides at the same time, which was really tricky. And so I tried to build the consumer side by like writing a bunch of services in house to build that up. So it would be more appealing for publishers. And it would, you know, it was, it was really tricky. And I learned that lesson the hard way. Yeah. It sounds like the technical side is the easy side, you know, comp- compared to other projects I've been a part of. It's like the really hard part there is getting getting the scale on the the actual users yeah and the actual companies yeah it was not a technically difficult thing it was just like a marketing and awareness problem and it also hurt my fundraising ability because they wanted to say like oh well when you know come this sounds cool but come back to us when you have 150,000 users right which you know 12 years ago was a lot now it's like it seems like table <laughs> seems like table stakes um you know, but it's still hard to get that many now without some kind of marketing and effort. But it really hurt trying to raise money. And then, you know, my my dad has always said, like, uh, the lack of money is what kills companies, not really anything else. <laughs> so <laughs> eventually ran out of money and had to, you know, shut it all down and kill it. And I went and from there uh, in the next step of I'll sort of fast forward the next few steps in my career progression uh i went and worked at other different companies out here and different startups so i I worked at twilio for a while right after notifo died uh from there i worked at uh, a startup called exec which was um something that justin khan started uh, when he was sort of stepping away from justin tv which would eventually become twitch um exec was sort of like an on-demand errand running it was kind of like task rabbit 
a little bit. It's the easiest way to describe it now. Um, and you, so I wrote all the mobile apps for them, um, the iOS and the Android clients and the consumer facing, like the worker apps and the consumer facing apps. Uh, it was like a gig economy style company. Uh, from there, I went to work at Twitter actually for a little bit. Um, and that was the third time I had interviewed at Twitter and finally got in. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, I worked at Jelly, which was BizStone's startup after he had left Twitter. He was kind of trying to figure out what to do. He and Ben Finkel started this company called Jelly, which was sort of like a human search engine. Their thesis was that most of human knowledge is still locked up in people's heads and it's like hard to not actually on the internet or like hard to Google. So there's some types of questions you can't ask Google and get information for. So they they made um, a website and, a, and like a mobile apps to make this sort of human social uh, search engine. That was an interesting ride. Lots of stories there. I could do a whole other podcast on that experience. Um, they pivoted from that idea to like a more social app. Like a, it's sort of like a crazy mashup between Twitter and Instagram where you could make social posts with text, but they were highly visualized. And that, and you were in early on that one as well. Were you doing the like iOS and Android apps there too? Yeah, so I was only doing the iOS app. Uh, we, there was another Android uh, developer there, so we were okay. working in, in parallel. So, yeah, early there. Um, and that app was called Super. If anybody remembers that, I would be very surprised. Uh, it was really fun to work on, but, but you know, social apps are hard to get users and go viral. And we tried all the things, and it's super tough. And then eventually they decided to pivot back to Jelly. Um and at that point, it had been a year and a half or something, and I was like pretty burnt out on running full speed trying to get this <laughs> new, entirely new product and, you know, being the only uh, app developer. Yeah, I imagine. And so I decided to kind of like step away. We had hired another iOS developer in. He, he like went from there. The Android developer uh, left sort of around the same time. <laughs> It was it was kind of a little bit of a shakeup, but anyway. So I left there, and then took a couple months to recover and find my feet. And then, so that's when I started at Apple. And the um, getting into Apple or working at Apple in general was something that was like never on my radar, never on my wish list, never on my list of companies. Like, man, I really want to work for Apple someday. It just wasn't. It was sort of almost on my companies I don't want to work for list um just because they were like at the big corporate kind of well i i think well so along the way all all this time from 2009 until 2015 when i started there i had been writing ios apps either for my job or on mm. the side for personal projects yeah and i had i had put like literally going from file new projects to like s release for the store release for the app store 20 apps or something like that. Goodness. <laughs> um, and a lot of those were my own personal ones and, and some of them, you know, a bunch of them were for work and all that. Right. So I really like writing apps. <laughs> um, and it was sort of like when I wasn't at work, I was at home writing more apps because I'm a crazy person and working um, for Apple means yeah, you're not allowed whole, to do that, at least not for yeah, yourself. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so working for Apple, you're not allowed to write or work on apps for the store. Um, also, at the same time, I was a co-host 
sort of accidentally became a co-host of an iOS-based podcast. It was you were accidentally on a tech podcast. No, please don't. No, no. <laughs> I have. Uh, I can. Cu- I, have, I can cut these out. Uh, we're we're allowed to fine. make horrible jokes. <laughs> No, that's fine. I mean, I have very strong opinions about some podcasts, and that happens to be one of them. And I obviously we won't get into it, but uh, I assume <laughs> let, we let's pull it back less specifically. I assume yeah, yeah, yeah. being on the inside uh, and hearing. I mean, there's not many companies that have the amount of uh, punditry and speculation in the tech space right. as right. as Apple and. And I, uh, the impression I get is a lot of people that work at Apple are also Apple fans of some sort and probably also yep. consume lots of those, uh, yep. that punditry and it being a secretive company, it's not like you can see everywhere. So you, you can even still have the same level of outsideness looking sure. in two different aspects of Apple. And so I have to imagine that's a very strange experience listening to all of that speculation and punditry about things that sometimes you know things about or at least know a little more about yeah it is very odd and i will just make a general blanket statement which i think is probably true for 99 percent of the punditry it's all wrong (laughs) just all all completely wrong um you can listen to all the talking heads and all the people who think they know what they're talking about you want and they're still all wrong like the only truth you'll get out of those is when they have somebody from apple come on the podcast and and speak on behalf of the company and even anything then that they you're getting, guess or, yeah you're uh, getting the, the like public marketing version yeah. of what they can say um anything else it's just all guesses and they're all wrong which is pretty funny so i actually don't listen to a lot of the punditry tree because it got pretty apparent pretty fast that there's no use in hearing all these wrong things <laughs> um and I'm just going to spend my time like building the things instead of thinking what other people think I'm doing. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I was this co-host of an iOS podcast and we didn't do punditry. We actually talked about uh, iOS development and talked about like frameworks and writing code and techniques and had guests on, you know, uh, app developers and stuff like that. So that was really fun. But um, working at Apple meant, you know, I couldn't do that anymore and I couldn't write apps anymore. Um, but I had a friend who was at Apple and he was in charge of a team. Um, and I hadn't heard from him for a few years. He disappeared <laughs> uh, into the spaceship. He dis- <laughs> yeah. He disappeared into the Apple black hole is, is what really happens. And I hadn't heard from him and I saw him at some event, uh, by chance and i walked up and i said hey it's good to see you i haven't seen you in so long and he said yeah it's great to see you we've been super busy i said what have you been working on um and he you know told me a couple of things that he could say publicly and he said you should really come uh hang out with us sometime you know just come to campus i can get you lunch you can you know say hi to some of the team it was very informal sounding like you know come check it out and i had never been to apple campus I didn't, you know, never been to Infinite Loop, any of that. I thought, oh, that sounds cool. So I said, great, sounds good. Uh, send me an invite. I'm pretty open because I wasn't, you know, working at the at the time. Uh, and a couple of days later, I get this invite for 8 a.m. Um, and I called him up. I said, you know, I just want to double check this because I don't know how early you eat lunch. <laughs> Uh, but I usually don't eat lunch at 8 a.m. He said, oh, no, I have a whole day of interviews scheduled for you. Oh, my gosh. 
Um, so apparently <laughs> I passed his phone test, whatever, just standing there talking with him. <laughs> um, and Wait, this he, is the morning of? Or when you, you got an invite like a couple of days before? Yeah, I got an invite for, okay. you know, it was like the invite was like a week out or something. And he oh it was goodness. scheduled for 8 a.m. And he said, yeah, I just want you to, you know, come in. Well, the team wants to talk with you and you can have lunch with them. And but, you know, they also want to interview you. <laughs> and I said, OK, I guess. Um, so it was like very unexpected out of the blue. And I was, you know, I was kind of talking with a couple other companies at the same time. So I thought, well, I might as well. You know, this is just another step in finding whatever's next. Um, and went in and had the whole day of interviews. And it was like the most grueling, intense set of interviews I've ever had in my life. <laughs> As you may or may not expect, I don't know I, what what Apple's reputation was. At the time, it would seem like, you know, this is a pretty tough place to get in. And for whatever reason, they said, hey, we like you. We want to give you an offer. And then I, you know, went through the whole negotiation process and had to think really hard, like, am I going to give up all these things that I want to do? and love doing and won't be able to do them anymore and i'll fall into the black hole and basically like disappear from the face of the earth um what do i want to do about that and the decision for me basically came down to okay do i go work at apple or do i basically the other option that i wanted to do was um work as like a freelance iOS developer or like have some kind of consultancy and which you had done, like you said, a couple times in the past. Yeah. I'd done a little bit in the past, but not in like mobile app consultancy oh, back okay. then it was like web stuff. So it would be, you know, it would be a little bit of a challenge and new and different. Um, but ultimately I decided, uh, okay, I guess I'll go work at Apple. It can't hurt. I can do it for a year or two. If I, I'm not feeling it. I can leave and go back to the consultancy thing. Um, I guess I can give up this stuff for a little bit. It'll be fine. And then I had a, a friend who I was, you know, talking this over with. And he basically said, like, what are you thinking? You're an idiot. Go work at Apple. Like, how could you how could you not do that? I mean, like, you know, thinking through it myself while you're saying this, it's like these Obviously, I've never been in a situation where I just had an offer sitting in front of me, but I've definitely had the same thoughts of like, you know, it's not like I'm some mega successful indie developer, nor do I have this, you know, ex massively popular podcast where I'm like a celebrity or something. But there is, right. you know, the small version of that. I have this little thing that I've built and the idea of having to shut that down, even if it's just for a year and you're like, I can come right back. It's like, but can you like, can you yeah. regain that same, you know, level of whatever you had or, or is it over? I, I can totally empathize with that level of fear of like disappearing into a black box for a little while. And then if you don't like it, what are you coming back out to? Yeah, it was, it was a really hard decision. And, you know, looking back, I'm glad that I did it. Hindsight is 2020, but you know, working at Apple was a whole thing in itself and it could be a whole other podcast. I mean, we can talk, a, we can talk some about it. I'm sure here. Yeah. I, I um, never know what, like my notes for this are basically just like, can you ask about this? Can you, uh, probably not. And I'm like deleting things. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's allowed and I don't ever want to like push on things. Yeah. So. No. Well, one of the things I learn, or I think anybody that works at Apple learns really fast is how to deflect or dodge yeah. or, <laughs> or like 
say something without saying something. So yeah. you can ask any question you want and I will expertly dodge or redirect <laughs> or just say, I can't answer that. And it doesn't bother me. This just, it just became, it became a way of life, really. I love the idea that like the corporate culture is such that everybody knows how to deflect. Like everybody should be going into politics outside of Apple just because they've gained this <laughs> life skill. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's 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 driven into you pretty early on. I mean, for you know, I, I say for good reason because I've drunk the Kool Aid, and I think there are good reasons. But anyway, um, yeah. So you can fire away, ask anything you want, and I'll answer whatever I can. Um, but yeah, working at Apple was was a crazy, interesting, great, and sometimes awful, to be honest. Time there was a lot of crunch, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of great stuff that my team released but it was it was just crazy overall and you know i left uh last may so 10 months ago i guess uh, now as we're recording this not quite a year yeah not quite a year and honestly i think i'm still recovering from the burnout and sort of the effects of having been through that grinder and i know several other people like coworkers and friends that are there that are experiencing the same thing and, you know, some people love it and some people have been there for 10 or 15 years and they thrive on it and it, that's just the way that they function and it's great for them. For some people, it's harder. For me, it was pretty tough. Um, you know, I had two kids uh, during my time there, so I was there five and a half years, I guess should be the, the stated time span that I was there, which was actually way longer than I thought I would be there. Um it's the longest job I've ever had in my career. Like all the other things were sort of like Cisco was three years. Everything between Cisco and Apple was like between one and two years here and there. Um, because I never, I never really found like a good fit or somewhere that, well, some of it was like startup done where like things were crazy and either existed or didn't. Um, somewhere that like, I didn't, feel like this is a good fit or it wasn't the culture I was looking for. And so I kind of like bounce around and, but Apple, it was a really good fit for me personally, for my work style. Like obviously the products were right up my alley. The code was, I really like enjoyed. Uh, I love objective C. So it was great to just like write objective C all day, every day for, you know, all that time. Um, and the team, the team of people I worked on was just absolutely incredible. Like I loved the people there. My manager was great. The director was great. Um, we, st I started the team when I joined was really small and then we grew, uh, and we kept getting more and more great people. And it was just really nice to be there with people. And I think also when the pandemic hit and everybody went remote, it got a lot harder, personally like mentally and socially for me because i wasn't in the office with these yep. fun cool people being on web conferencing was like really tough you know it's like definitely not the same as being in a meeting room or like going to somebody's office um yeah we we've talked about this privately like in you know chats and stuff in the past and it yeah it's one of those weird things where uh the forced nature of going remote has opened up lots of people to how accessible it is, you know, how you can make a company work and everything. But I think yep. for some people, maybe a minority, I'm not sure, but I'm definitely in this group. It's like really, really hard. Socially, I find it much more difficult to like feel engaged with the company and the work I'm doing when I'm not with people kind of talking about our lives and everything together. Yeah. Um, and so especially in an environment I you said it I've heard probably multiple people on the show say the same thing is that 
part of the appeal of Apple is like being in the same room with all these people who are kind, but just like really smart. And you're just sort of absorbing mm-hmm. all of this knowledge from everybody. And while obviously that can happen remotely, for at least me, that's a much more difficult thing. You're you're a little more isolated. Um, and so I bet you lose some of that appeal of working there um, while still feeling all of the crunch <laughs> of trying to get products out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I definitely prefer to be in an office with people being with my coworkers. Um, but that's just me personally. So it became a lot harder. Yeah. There was still all the pressure to release all the things on time. Um, but now with the added overhead of like, everything is asynchronous, you either have to chat, like type it out chat on Slack or have a, you know, a video conference with all the overhead and bugginess of like audio cutting out and video yeah. being weird and hold on my airpods just, aren't connected give me a second yeah <laughs> just the, like the information throughput and bandwidth is so much lower on over video than like if you're just all in a room you can like see facial expressions you can read body language like more than one person can talk at a time and it's still coherent yeah if you have more than one person talking on a video conference it's just completely unintelligible and, and awful yeah that's like uh, to get back on my soapbox for a second, like that is <laughs> sure. the thing I've just desperately wanted to see solved. Um, and I'm starting to think that at least with current technology, maybe there isn't a good solution and maybe something later enables this, or there's just an idea that hasn't been unlocked. But like, if you have more than like three people, <laughs> I feel like there's a massive difference between, uh, a remote, you know, web webcam based conversation where every single person is talking through the same little tube. And so, yeah, like you said, you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't have multiple people talking at once and you can't have organic splitting of conversations. Like there's breakout rooms right. in zoom and, and there's some tools that like try to do this, but that sort of natural, like Charlie's talking too much again, let's split off and <laughs> go like start our own little conversation doesn't happen. <laughs> and so either right. I take over a conversation or I just like, don't talk because I'm afraid of over talking everybody. And that starts getting really like draining and stressful. Yeah. So it, it became really draining. And also I had like two young children at home um, running around like crazy, which is fine because they're kids and that's what they, <laughs> that's do, what they and do. And I love them. And that's, that's what they do. It's great. Um, but it's not really conducive to like a highly concentrated work situation. Um, so it got really tough. And so it, became you know a part of a reason that i was like i i'm not sure i can do this anymore um but there were other factors and i you know was feeling burnt out and was having some like mental and physical issues that i needed to work through it just made working hard and so i made the decision to leave um after five and a half years and i i you know was uh finished up all of my work that i was working on for um the release of iOS 15 and I was working on the focus feature, like the new focus modes for, for do not disturb and some other things that I'm using right now. (laughs) Yeah. Great. As we record. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so I made sure I didn't like leave right when, um, it was (laughs) leave the rest of my team in the lurch. So I, I wanted to sort of like off ramp on it in a good place and hand it off when it was mostly done and ready to go. Um, so that all ended well. And, you know, I, I still, I still miss my coworkers a bunch. I still talk with my like original office mate all the time over chat. We still talk a lot and I keep up with a lot of the coworkers, which is cool and different from every other job that I've had. Because once I left, I was kind of like, well, 
I'm not sure I'll ever see or talk to you again, and that's fine with me, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is not super great. Um, and that's not you know 100 percent true. I still keep up with some ex coworkers, which is which is really nice. But in this case, it, this one hurt a lot to leave because so, I knew that I wouldn't be able to spend time with them every day or like talk with them or ask them questions and. You know, now that I'm back on the outside as a third party developer, um, I can share in the cynicism of being on the outside, which I always knew was true. And it's tough that like if you have a bug or a problem, you can't really ask anybody at Apple how to fix it or like for help. It's yeah. really hard. You have to file a radar or sorry, a feedback. Goodness. Or, <laughs> or post on the discussion forums or like hope that somebody else out there has had this problem and can help you from the third party side. Whereas like. If I'm at my desk in Apple in Apple Park and I'm working on this feature and I run into a bug with some framework in like 10 seconds, I can figure out the exact person that I can ask, uh, yeah. is this a bug or am I doing it wrong or how do I do this? And like email them, call them, chat them and they will answer me and like problem solved. I can move on with the day. It's like the difference is so stark <laughs> and I, I missed that a lot. <laughs> was it was it noticeably that stark going in? Or was that something you slowly built up as you learned who all the people were? But then when you left, now it's like you're cut off from all those resources. Yeah. I mean, I knew it, like in order for Apple to function at all, I knew that like you would have to be able to access information <laughs> from people pretty immediately. So I was I was, you know, assumed that it wouldn't be so bad uh, being on the inside. And I was right. So but yeah, you like you learn the the methods to like weave in and out of the code and like navigate the the commit logs and figure out who wrote this line of code or that or who owns this project or like who are the managers that know who these people are and you like you get this network of people that you interact with a lot on the teams that you collaborate with and like you just grow this sort of rolodex of people in your mind it's like oh i know exactly who to ask about this right uh, and you just go to them and you man have these relationships and it's amazing it's just um, interesting because it's like what you're <laughs> describing probably anybody who's worked at a big company is like well yeah i mean yeah, yeah that's that's what it is the difference is when i left my last company i didn't keep running into bugs where right. i needed to access the exact same people but you right. you leave and now you're still writing code for ios that's using the same frameworks right. and you're like dang it larry i just need to ask you this one question but now i can't uh that would be yeah, that's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So now kind of the best thing that I can do is like if I have a bug or a problem, I I will follow feedback and then I'll like write a note or if I know who they are on Twitter, I'll like send them a DM or something and say like, hey, it would be really great if you looked at this feedback number and then like I don't expect them to say anything back because technically they're not supposed to. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, that, that's sort of my only way to to like poke people that's funny <laughs> now huh. about that but that that's kind of a big loss but you know i i really wish that there was a better way for the the outside community to tap into this knowledge and you know i can see why the labs at wwdc are such a valuable thing for everyone uh the developers to come and like actually talk face to face with engineers and like show them their apps and show them their bugs show them their problems ask them their questions and like get actual meaty straight answers like right there on the spot um which i think is super valuable but i also think they should be doing more year-round uh i think this year they actually did like some extra labs in december or something right they opened up through the developer app which i thought was cool 
I don't remember seeing lab. I've seen like sessions, uh, different sessions pop up. Maybe they did have labs. I don't remember that. For me, I have a day job, so they've always been during the day, which I can't oh, yeah. know, take off. They had, I think they had some labs for some specific technologies or frameworks. Uh, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't quite as like anything goes or like everybody's all hands on deck, like dub dub. But uh, yeah, I would love to see them do that more often and have more availability for asking, you know, very specific questions uh, and getting answers right, you know, from the source. Nice. And I guess before we get off of that, then I do, I do want to poke about the, uh, doing sure. that WWDC video. So like, Oh yeah, that, I guess that was kind of your like parting, you know, you got your WWDC video and then you're like, peace out. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, that was, that was a year and a half before I left. So yeah. it wasn't quite <laughs> like a, my parting shot, but yeah. What was, what was that like? Like, you know, it sounds like you've like obviously pitched before for startups. Uh, you've you've done lots of public speaking, but I imagine, or maybe not. I'm, but I'm imagining that doing a WWDC video is like a totally different game. Yeah, I mean, I I have done a lot of public speaking. I love doing presentations. I like public speaking. Um, I'm kind of a ham. Uh, if you <laughs> like get a chance to work with me for any length or like be involved in a project or a presentation, I really like to go sort of over the top, um, be entertaining or goofy or like, you know, like attention grabbing. It doesn't come across at all in your video. <laughs> uh, for the listener, if you yeah. haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's, it's shared with multiple people. And so there's a couple people before you. And then whenever your section pops up, oh, look at that. There it is. Uh, <laughs> Chad <laughs> pops up in a like nice looking shirt with a vest and then a big monocle. Um, and you're, <laughs> I guess now you have like a full beard, but at the time you had like the full mutton chops uh, yep. really coming down. Like it was, it was a vibe uh, that was just so cool because I think I'd seen like a picture of you here and there, but mostly I knew you from your Twitter handle, which was a Mountain Dew can. Yeah. Uh, so seeing that was like, whoa, there's Chad. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's, and that's really who I am. Like I wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't gen uh, generating a new character. Um, but I, you know, I like to dress that way. I like that style and um yeah my my beard right now is like full ish just sort of being lazy because i don't go out and see anybody yeah, anymore <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i mean i hit it always once i started working at apple i was like okay well now i have a bucket list item of doing a dub dub talk but because of the team i was working on we were working on very sort of like uh system level mm. um integrations and features and not like external API or public API work where we could like go and tell developers, Hey, here's this thing we're working on. Here's how you use it. You know, like all the framework right. sessions are ours was more like we're making stuff for other teams within Apple to use and we're making features that are public, but we're not going to give a dub dub talk about like, here's how to use our feature right? that you um, can't uh, access or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, that, like our stuff was featured in the keynote in the state of the union, which is great. Uh, but it wasn't like talk worthy, but then for iOS 14, our team was like super, super integral in the new widgets framework, uh, stuff. So, um, adding widgets to the home screen, how to make widgets and all the sort of, um, intelligence ab around when you're, widgets are surfaced to the top of like a mm. smart stack if you have like a stack of widgets uh when they get shown how how best to inform the system 
uh, when your widget should be shown, like when do I have important information, stuff like that. So a lot of uh, the members on our team had an opportunity to give a talk like for the first time, which was great because a bunch of us had wanted to do this for a while. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of jumped at the chance to <laughs> be able to do it. Um, and this was, you know, March was when everything s- sort of shut down or like everybody started working from home and Dub Dub was coming up. Dub Dub was in June and all of a sudden um, we had to sort of like figure out what's our strategy and then, you know, the the people at the top said, okay, we're doing virtual dub dub. Everything's going to be videotaped. We're hiring, you know, all these people to come like help record and produce each session. And here's how that's going to work. Um, and then we kept having to develop our talks, but now that they were going to be recorded, um, they had sort of a different vibe and flow to them than, than if you're standing on a stage giving a presentation. Right. So, and that was the first time we had done it or Apple had done it that way. So everybody was kind of trying to figure out like what makes a good video session. Um, And our talk, we had like a mega talk, which was like five people strung together. Whereas like a lot of sessions are like one person standing, talking about a thing or one or two people kind of handing back and forth. Ours was split up into a bunch of like smaller or medium chunks uh, throwing to each other over the course of, it was like 45 minutes or something. Um, so that was a challenge in itself. Like how do we split up the content? Who's saying what, how long is each thing? How do you make it cohesive? So it was like a big, um, complicated thing to put together. And we had to have all these rehearsals, script rewrites. Oh my goodness. We wrote the script so many times. And this is on top of like doing the work. So we were still working on the stuff to get it ready to go out. Right. You're still crunching for the actual uh, product itself. Yeah. yeah so man. everybody that everybody that's involved in giving a presentation at dub dub is also still doing the work. It's like a whole other layer of work on top of their normal day job to get ready for these presentations. It's like, it's amazing how all this stuff comes together each year. Um, so I was super excited for it and we finally got our time slots and because everything was locked down, like there were strict health and safety protocols, like each session was recorded, like in super isolation, um, the hair and makeup people, you know, like we're all masked up and, and stuff. And, you know, I, I, we all had to wear masks until we were like standing at the little table ready to deliver our, our talk. And it was, you know, it was kind of, it was very cool. Um, it was like being a little TV star for, yeah. <laughs> you know, half a day or something. You go in and do your recording. And the one little quick funny story about, so everybody was encouraged to bring something with them to put on the table that was sort of like a little personal knickknack or something um, to add some flavor or flair because it was shot inside of Apple Park. You were standing basically at a little like uh, hip height table and giving your talk so you would have like your phone on the table and you'd be talking to the camera but they wanted something else for each person to like have with them to add some extra visual flavor Mm -hmm. um, variety and so it there was no prescription about what it should be it was just like bring a personal cool thing to have there sitting on you know in the background or on the table so i brought a newton Um, which sort of became infamous, infamous for appearing in this video. And when I arrived, somebody asked me like, Oh, did you get permission to bring this Newton to have on camera? And I said, 
no, I didn't know I needed permission. And the concern was that like, because it was an Apple product and from a certain era of Apple's history, um, it was unclear whether this was like <laughs> allowed or a good thing to have on camera or a bad thing to have on camera. What are the, what are the optics, Chad? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what are the optics? And there was some confusion and eventually whoever was in charge of asking this question just finally said, okay, whatever, just do it. We'll do it. And you know, we'll deal with the consequences. Like, ah, these developers, we're just trying to record these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So luckily there were no consequences, but it was pretty funny that a lot of people recognized it was a Newton on the table. Like it, it was sort of at an oblique angle and like you really had to know what it was to recognize right. it. Um, and I had the stylus like popped out of it sitting next to it on the table so you could see the stylus, which was really funny because a lot of people tried to like read into these objects that everybody brought in. Like, people from the same framework sometimes some of them had themes like they'd bring in related objects uh, um so there were some like little easter egg connections between people and their objects or different talks and there was some speculation that because i had a newton and like i put the stylus next to it during my talk that it was like telegraphing somebody had this whole conspiracy theory that like they're making an apple pencil for iphones and we're gonna have the apple stylus <laughs> for phones coming out in the next year like this is an obvious nod and you know they wouldn't put it on the screen like that unless they were meant to say something um like it was this whole planned event or you know, awesome. like thought through they thing. decided to tease the launch of a brand new product in a uh, wwdc video for developers about widgets <laughs> yeah exactly and I, i'm i'm reading all this thinking wow this is amazing that would be amazing if that were the actual story but really it's just that I love Newtons and I have one and I decided to bring it as my personal effect. And like, that was the entire story. Um, but yeah, that was sort of like my five, five to five minutes, literally of talk claim to fame, uh, for being an Apple, which was really, really fun. And I would have loved to have done another talk or, you know, if dub dubs ever in person, I would have loved to have done an in-person talk at some point uh probably won't happen now that i'm not there <laughs> it's a little more difficult you just need to come up with a game and then you can do a oh yeah you know long demo ar demo or something <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but yeah i was super happy to get to do the the talk and you know it was a really fun release that year i was 14 and all the widgets and the developers were really really excited about it which was cool and yeah and those kind of went viral uh for users too right like yeah yeah kind of exploded as a little i don't know if memes the right word but a, a thing that lots of people were, were using and customizing their home screen with yeah users seem to love the widgets which is great like it's always nice to work on something and then put it out there and then have people actually like it you know there's a lot of things that we that we apple put out with is you know for better or for worse rightly or wrongly criticized for being um you know bad or worse than it was or changes for the sake of change or you know there's just like a lot of criticism because there's a big surface area like right. apple does a lot of things and they they innovate and change and you know things evolve um uh, but it was kind of cool to be on like a very super positive end receiving end of you know like oh this is actually really good um so it was nice to see all that hard work pay off. That was a lot of hard work between a lot of teams to get yeah, that, the new widget stuff working. Yeah, because that crossed, you know, all the platforms as well as obviously being in Springboard and touching lots of uh, pieces of the operating system, I guess. Yep. All right. Well, 
I could just keep digging uh, through here uh, all day, but <laughs> I do want to uh, get to sticker doodle and we're already kind of running low on time here. So, sure. Um, so once you left Apple, what was, what was the game plan? Was it kind of like, I just need to get out and then I'll figure things out. Or did you have something you wanted to jump on right away? I didn't really have a specific game plan. I think I had been like suppressing that urge to write apps for mm, so long yeah. that I was like, okay, the, the day after I'm out of Apple, whenever I kept thinking this, like, you know, in the last couple of years, like the day I'm done at Apple, I'm just going to like write a million apps and I'm going to publish a million billion apps. and I'm just going to do nothing but write all these apps that I wish I was writing. And I have this like note that I've been keeping idea, a list of ideas of like app ideas, like apps I'm going to write on day one. <laughs> and um, so I kind of, I, I, did sort of attempt to do that where I was like, okay, I can finally do all this stuff. I'm going to write all these apps. Um, and I just sort of went a little bit crazy writing this and that, like a little bit of app here, a little bit of app there. And I had to kind of relearn a lot of things because a lot of the frameworks that I was used to had evolved and changed mm -hmm. over time. Um, I didn't interact with a lot of the public APIs while I was at Apple, like I would as an, as a app developer. So I had to see where things were at. Um, I also had never written a line of Swift. Ooh. Really? Um, I guess you weren't building widgets then. Uh. <laughs> well, I wrote a couple of test widgets. Uh, it was not like my area that I needed to write a whole bunch of widgets, right. but I wanted to learn, you know, make sure that the system was working. So I, I learned enough Swift UI to be extremely dangerous and write like <laughs> a super simple hello world, like something about it was dynamic. Um, and yeah, so I got that working. So I, okay. So maybe one, I, you know, I had written a few lines of Swift, maybe I should say. Um, but I had to decide like, okay, now that I'm on the outside, do I continue in my old, stone age ways of writing objective C, which I have written for the last 11 years and loved every minute of it. I still love objective C. I have no beefs with it. I mean, you know, except the normal beefs, but like, yeah, you can't love a language without having beefs, but you have, you have the beefs that you're supposed to have. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, I have all the right beefs, but anyway, I still love it as a language, but I had to decide like, am I going to learn Swift? Am I going to move? Am I going to like, is this old dog going to learn new tricks? And I actually wrote my first few, apps um that i was just writing for fun as like a let me remember how to write an app sort of exercise in objective c um and that was fun and then for some reason i can't remember exactly when i was like okay i should probably attempt to write an app in swift just to learn um and i had kept up with swift the language as it was evolving like from the day that it launched and in the previous podcast that i co-hosted we we actually like had a whole series where we walked through the Swift programming guide um, when it was Swift 1.0. And so I remember a lot of that and I had to go back and see what had all changed and literally all of it had changed. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. So, and then I, I started writing some code in it and I was like, okay, this is all right. And I remember the couple of times before I had played around with it, the tooling was not as sophisticated as it is now. So like the Xcode, either auto completion or the type inference or the compiler was like a little bit more janky or non-functional. And so it was, it was harder for me to reason about it. Um, 
but now it seems like the tooling is a lot better and the auto completion, the type inference and the compiler, they're all faster and more accurate and the error messages are more uh, human readable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it seems easier to navigate and understand what's happening. So I, I basically have switched now. All the new code I write is in Swift. Sticker doodle is 100% in Swift. Um, all the other like little test apps and things I'm working on are all now in Swift. So that's been a fun, interesting change. And, you know, the community, it seems like, has basically switched over to Swift. All the new information, all the new resources, the blogs, the people that talk about development are all Swift-based. And honestly, it's the future that Apple wants to move into, right? Like, there's right. now more and more Swift-only frameworks. Um and some of the frameworks I wanted to use were Swift only. I think that was an, another major motivator was like, well, I want to be able to use this and I can't if I just keep living in Objective-C land. And I know you can use both and like have the bridging headers and it's a little bit funky to, you know, go back and forth. So, But you start getting, yeah, the more you diverge, the more you're sort of making your life more painful for the sake of using something you're more comfortable with. Yeah, exactly. So I made the switch. And I like it, and it's fine. And um, yeah, so so now I'm writing in Swift, and um, I sort of burnt myself out a little bit. Yeah, because <laughs> you to were, write. There was a lot <laughs> coming out of you. Uh, yeah, for a little bit. I don't know if it was immediately after, but it seemed like pretty quickly there was just a new app idea in test flight. It seemed like every week somehow. Uh, yeah, that came a little bit later, but like I was. You know, while I was in the relearning phase, I was just writing all these crazy things, ideas, apps I wanted to work on, blah, 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 like all the time. And I was like, okay, wait, I left Apple because I'm burnt out. Why am I like <laughs> burning myself out of my own creation, like of my own d doing? I should just chill out and calm down for a little bit. So um, I slowed that down and like wasn't quite so hard on myself to try to like get something out there and it's like all right i'm just gonna be calm and chill and try to relax enjoy the time with my family try to like travel a little bit in the summer see my my uh, both sets of grandparents so that they could have some time with the grandkids and um yeah so then like in the course of slowing that down and playing with a few other ideas sort of like offhandedly that led to the idea for sticker doodle so it's kind of funny that I had this whole list so of ideas for apps. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't in the list. Huh. Like it was nowhere in the list, like nothing, had no idea. Um, the way that it, the, the path that led to there basically was like, okay, I want to learn Swift and I want to learn some new frameworks and I want to learn, you know, like relearn uh, how things have evolved. So why don't I just like do something fun? So like, oh, I'll make a game. So I'd, wanted to see if I could make a little game that maybe my kids would enjoy playing. And so I used Sprite kit and some other stuff. And I decided, Oh, and I learned like the game controller thing. So I, um, oh, I nice. the game would run on my iPad and my kids could use the like Xbox controller to like control this little box that would jump around a, a screen or a level or something. Um, and I figured out how to do that. And I was like, okay, this is cool. So I had like a little very boxy Mario game <laughs> that they could play and like collect coins and it would make sounds and it was fun and they liked that. And I thought, okay, um, now I want to learn about like Pencil Kit because I remember when Apple Pencil came out and they made the Pencil Kit framework available that was like very cool and very good looking like drawing tools. Um, 
I thought, all right, I'm going to learn that. So I wrote a little test app thing where I could just had just like a blank screen with a canvas and you could doodle on it. And it was just basically learning how to use the framework. It was like, you know, it took an hour or something. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, this idea popped into my head. I was like, what if in this game that I made that like my kids could draw the characters or like draw the character or like draw some grass or the background or some clouds, draw some things. And then like, then the game would use their artwork for the sprites basically um, for the levels. And so I kind of threw that together and it worked and they liked that, but it looked kind of funny because like the, I had the background was blue sky and like the colors didn't mix very well right and it was hard to see the characters like it didn't pop out visually and so what i the problem i ran into was i need to figure out a way to make these sprites look good on the screen but have some character and like make it visually appealing so that the the drawings look good but they don't like stand out so much that they they, you know, they're not just like blocky squares with right. a white background. It's like this obviously is like a, a rectangle pasted into yeah. like the game world, right? Um, and of course, my kids being kids had all these sticker books and ha- there are stickers all over everything in our house, which is yeah. great and cool <laughs> and fun. Um, and I thought, okay, now wait, what if, since they're like kid drawing doodly looking things, what if I made them look like stickers instead? And like, then the game would kind of have this like natural doodle sticker looking charm where um, it's not a rectangular block. It is their picture, but it has this sort of like outline around it, like a sticker that's been die cut out of a page. So it retains some of the shape, but because the sticker has like a solid background, it would, it would be visually distinct from the background. Give it it some contrast. Yeah. Give it some contrast, be easy to see. So I thought, okay, now I need to figure out how to take an image that somebody has drawn and turn, like apply a sticker effect to it. And that turned out to be more complicated than I thought. Like it's different than just adding a stroke to the outside of the image because like if it's hollow inside, you need to fill the hollow bits or if it's not closed, like if they draw a smiley face, but the circle's not fully closed, there needs to be some way to actually like have some outer bounds to what that means to draw an outline. You can't just flood fill the image because it'll leak outside of that broken circle and then fill the whole screen. Um, so I went through this whole exercise of coming up with a system and algorithm to like stickerize a drawing and I figured it out and it worked and it looked really cool. And there is this core image filter on board in iOS that apparently has been there since iOS two or three, which is, um, the curled image effect or like curl page. effect. And so you can specify like an angle, a time, variable and it will basically take a flat image and make it look like it's peeled back or curl like you're curling the page as you're turning it or something from the the skeuomorphism era where like the books you could like flip the pages and yeah exactly so you flip a page and yeah so i I imagine that was originally what exactly what it was for and because there was like a modal transition in pre-ios 7 where you could curl the page back Mm -hmm. right so they had to figure out a way to accelerate that computation so they had this core image filter on board um 
And I thought, well, what do you do with the sticker? You peel it off of the page. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can just apply this effect to the sticker image that I've now generated and like figure out the right, like depending if you drag your finger across it, I can know the angle you're dragging at. And like, depending on the distance you've dragged it, I can associate that with like a time or a percent peeled amount. So I made that into a little demo and I just sat there on my iPad, just like fidgeting with these stickers with my finger, peeling them off of the screen. And it was so satisfying and fun. It was really, really fun and cool effect. Um, and so, you know, I let my kids play with that and that was fun and cool. And then I had this, I kept thinking like, whenever I have an idea that solves a very specific problem, like in this case, I'm like drawing a sticker for a character sprite in a game for my kids. Like that's a very specific problem (laughs) that I'm solving. Um, I've come up with a solution. Great. So what I always try to do when I'm solving a very specific problem is think, does this generalize to anything else? Like, can I use this solution in a more general sense um, and perhaps make it more useful in a broader uh, context. And I thought, well, I basically have stickers. Okay. Stickers are a big thing. That's pretty broad. What else could I make out of this little piece of tech that I've come up with? And well, duh. Okay. There are sticker apps (laughs) on iOS in iMessage. You can literally sell sticker packs or have an iMessage app. And there are like, sticker objects there's like ms sticker or whatever the object type is called um in the message app framework i thought okay well this seems like a pretty obvious leap like i can take these stickers and make them into stickers and stickers are Uh, kind of the the thing that got some traction with the whole iMessage app store right like seems like a lot of the use cases didn't really take off but stickers i mean they didn't like you know blow the whole world up but like right right it's definitely a thing that people do frequently use still yeah exactly and so i was i was uh ios 10 was the first ios release that i was involved in and that was the really i wasn't involved in the messages app store stickers or anything like that but i remember when it was announced that messages was adding this sort of like app store and you can have Mm. messages apps and things and it seemed interesting and fun but you know over time seemed clear that like well it's not super huge and there's a few apps that people are using but it's not like a mega blowout thing like the overall app store and it in general it seemed like the things that were promoted or like getting the top of the charts were sticker related right and so i thought okay that's cool and i use stickers with friends and things and they're fun and but now i'm like okay wait a minute now you can make your own stickers like when normally if you sell a sticker pack it's just like you upload a pack of png files and it's static and like that's all you get right like it's hard to add more you can just sell a static pack of stickers there are some apps like if you want to have dynamic stickers or like be able to download more stickers you have to be an app an iMessage app because then you can actually run code a sticker pack has no code it's just literally images just assets yeah. And I thought, okay, wait, now what if I make an iMessage app where you make your own stickers? Like I'm not giving you stickers. I'm not saying like, here are the 10 stickers I think you might enjoy using. Like you make your own stickers. You can draw your own 
little smiley faces or sunshines or stick people or whatever, like your little in jokes with your family or your friends and you can doodle them and draw them and share them around. Like everybody on earth would want this, right? <laughs> and so it like popped into my, I had this like revelation light bulb went off, like make a sticker app. It's <laughs> like, yes, this is it. And I remember telling like on discord, talking to some friends, like I have this great idea. I and was showing you, they had seen some of the demos of like the sticker game thing before. And it's like, okay, but what if I take this and like, now you can just draw any sticker you want and send it to your friends and like, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. And then like 10 seconds later, I was like, oh, and obviously I'm going to call this sticker doodle. <laughs> um, and I don't know. To me, it was really great because I am a huge fan of the cookies called snickerdoodles. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> apparently not everybody knows what a snickerdoodle is or that they exist. So it's a pun on snickerdoodle, although it's it does stand on its own like snickerdoodle. It's an app for doodling stickers. Great. It works. Um, and in fact, that is... <laughs> that is what the icon of the app is. That cookie. It is a cookie that's supposed to look like a snickerdoodle with a bite taken out of it, and there's a few little crumbs. Now, whether or not it actually does look like a snickerdoodle <laughs> cookie with a bite taken out of it and a few crumbs, and whether or not it's actually a good icon, is totally up for debate because I drew it in about 30 seconds as a placeholder, honestly, because I wanted some. I wanted to like hire somebody to make a really good one but never got around to it or like it, they were all booked or it's actually very super expensive to get somebody to make a good icon for you um so in the end i decided well okay screw it i'll just ship it with this icon and change it later but guess what i haven't changed it <laughs> it's the theme um, of the app it's a it's a yeah doodle. it's the theme of the app like yeah it's a doodle like I, I felt like it represents it pretty well now i've had some pushback on it because it does look kind of crummy haha compared to a lot of the other like high fidelity nice looking icons around it on your home screen and mine kind of sticks out like Ugh, look at this goofy looking hand-drawn piece of blob um because it's not immediately apparent that it's a cookie so oh, there's a lot of confusion and maybe i should eventually update it but anyway that's what the icon and what the name mean um so I, this idea sort of like popped into my head and i was out traveling with my family to see you know the grandparents when this idea came up and i was like i have to get home and write this thing you know as soon as possible and i had my laptop with me but i wasn't i was trying to avoid being like hey sorry everyone i'm yeah. gonna go sit we're gonna sit, go visit family you know, and then sit in the corner in the, and yeah, write sit in the corner and i'm gonna write this thing um and ignore you all but you know i i did some like late night testing and setting up of things and and generally seeing is this possible can i make a you know a quick messages app where i generate a sticker asset and it will appear in the messages drawer and i can drag it onto the transcript and it worked and i was like okay at least i know that when i get home i can do this um and then i got home and basically spent i think it was six or eight weeks i think total between like getting home and finally being able to dedicate the time to it and like launching it or submitting it i can't remember what the actual you know time span was but it was quick it was like in a couple months but they were intense months but i got it out there and it felt really good and there was like a whole uh saga of like doing all the marketing uh assets and writing and copy and like doing localization for different languages and a whole bunch of lessons i learned and then like getting the app store features and 
all these things. So, you know, I don't know how much time left or how many questions you have left. I'm, I'm free and available and open, but you know, like <laughs> there's still a whole lot more to the, the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, we're already like so over time as I often do. Uh, but I guess, so the, we're leaving a lot on the table, which stinks. And you should obviously people should download the app and check it out because it really is fun. Yeah, we'll have to do we'll have to do launched part two, the actual the actual launch. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but like, well, so that's that's my question. Then the big thing is the actual launch. So once that went out there, how was it received? Uh, it seemed to be received pretty well. I mean, I had been hyping it on Twitter sort of as like a secretive project. Like I wasn't really telling anybody exactly what it was. I remember there was like the, like, I think I had seen you talking about it, but where it really piqued my interest was people going, oh my gosh, the sticker doodle or the, the Jazzy Chad uh, update or some test flight update. Like people were just talking about this update that they were super excited about. But I didn't. I still didn't know what it was at that point. I think that's whenever I found my way into the test flight at some point. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was intentionally being a little bit mysterious because I wanted to to be like secretive and interesting. Um, but you know, it's like a little bit of holdover from Apple, I guess, where like you don't ever talk about anything you're yeah. working on until it's public. <laughs> can't quite shake it. Yeah, I can't quite shake it. So, uh, but I did have a really good group of test flight people, a few hundred people that I had let in and gotten really good feedback from, and then. Um, had told a bunch of people, a bunch of friends, you know, like I'm launching on this date. I'm going to tweet it out. Like if you can retweet it, help me spread the word, you know, here's a link, all this sort of stuff. And I built a, the webpage for it and I built a press kit for it, which was really good because, um, it let anybody that wanted to write about it or, or promote it. Like there were a bunch of images that they could use that were already ready. They didn't have to like do their own screenshotting or anything. Yeah. So launch day was really exciting and I hit the button and said, you know, okay, it's here. And I made this really fun video, um, using an app called Rotato, which is like a tool that you can load, uh, video clips into models of phones or devices and sort of like rotated in space and animated and like make these slick marketing style videos. Um, and I put some music on it and it was, it was just, it was fun to make, but it was also good at demonstrating exactly what the app did. Um, and it just sort of went from there. So I got a bunch of downloads the first day, which was a little bit unexpected and, but great. And then, you know, uh, some articles came out, some, um, blogs picked it up and published little like launch announcement things for it, which was really cool also. And, yeah, mostly it's just been word of mouth and people saying, you know, like, oh, you've ruined my chats, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? By like letting people post all these terrible <laughs> stickers and like people racing to the bottom with things that they'll draw or whatever. But, you know, a lot of people draw really interesting things. And uh, I do actually have to give credit to my sister who was one of my beta testers. And she said, um, I need to be able to like make a sticker out of a photo for my photo that album. That was my next and, question. I had to ask about yeah, that. Yeah. Originally the idea, like, because the, the conception that popped into my head was just drawing these things with like pencil kit and like doodling and my having my kids make them right. Because they, they don't take photos. They just doodle things. So it never really crossed my mind to make stickers out of a photo. Um, but she kept insisting and I kept saying, no, that's not the point of the app. It's called sticker doodle, not like photo sticker maker studio plus ultra. Um, 
but she was so insistent i was just like fine let me do sort of like the bare minimum possible way to do this um so you can like cut a piece out of your photo and it'll make a sticker and then she said no i need to be able to like trace around the outline of of a thing i was like gosh darn it this is way more complicated i don't want to do that and she said you have to do this (laughs) and so i finally said fine so like in a fit of rage i sat down and coded the thing basically to make my sister stop bugging me that's so (laughs) Um, funny and but she loved it she's like yes this is perfect thank you and then she stopped and she can make all the photo stickers she wants and it turns out that people mostly want to make photos into stickers and not draw them themselves which of course in hindsight is obvious that like most people don't want to draw things or like don't think of themselves as artists but what do they have they have a hundred million photos and they can find something funny or like a face or a person or an object that they want to turn into a sticker and like send to their friend as a joke or you know as a something and so obviously i should have had photos like right from the start but thank you to my sister for um badgering me into the right decision (laughs) and so now you can do both (laughs) that's amazing because yeah that i mean like i feel like the first i don't know how long whenever we were playing around with it uh we would doodle things and send them but what has really caused it to have legs in a lot of my conversations is is that and specifically weirdly uh the area this is a little sticker doodle pro tip here uh you can take a screenshot of a chat bubble that somebody sent and then that becomes a callback so like there are sticker doodles that are like my most of my go-to's i don't think it's like ordered by hoft and use them in the app but if it was the ones that would be at the top would be these random callback messages that somebody sent that we thought were funny and then like all of us will end up you know posting uh our message bubbles on top of other people's message bubbles because it's like this callback joke or whatever that has proven to be one of the like funniest use cases to me um and i use it all the time and like literally there's no other app or anything that would that that could be possible with like right you like unlocked a new sort of medium for how we like joke with each other i guess that sounds way more highfalutin than uh than it actually is in practice i guess but it it really is a lot of fun yeah i'm I'm glad to hear that yeah it's it's interesting like all the different use cases that i've seen people use for cropping things out of photos or screenshots like that or like just things i would never would have imagined which is really great and funny and interesting so i'm super happy that people are being creative with it and like making their own style of stickers that i could never have invented because i was you know the original idea was like stickers that my four-year-old would draw right and but of course people are making all sorts of cool and interesting like very detailed beautiful like i have a friend who's an illustrator who just makes these gorgeous drawings and stickerizes them and people that you know crop out memes and post them as stickers or chat bubbles and you know or people's faces or embarrassing poses or whatever you know it's like <laughs> it's just gone crazy and it's really fun to see all that happening i should clarify however i don't see the stickers like oh, i don't yeah, have that's any a good point. i don't have any reporting coming back to me like look at these these are all the stickers that people made today and i just browse them these are like people who willingly share the stickers <laughs> they make with me so that i can see them i'm not spying on anybody's sticker packs uh, yeah that's a that is a very good call out uh because yeah i could imagine people being afraid of that um yeah 
I, I really like how even in on the surface, what looks like a relatively simple app, um, which obviously has some more complicated algorithms going on for stickerizing and, and doing some of your highlighting that you're doing or uh, like shape detection and stuff. But mm-hmm. even that, like you have this cool track of you had this idea and that idea force you to come up with a little technology that you then ported to a new idea, which kind of grew into a separate idea on top of that. And like the end result is something that can have all this meaning for lots of people. Yeah. Uh, that, that That's really fun. It was a very unexpected path, but it was very fun. I was like, okay, this is, this would be a cool, like first project to really work on out of the gate. Something that like my kids will like, my wife likes, my friends liked. Um, it seemed to be, like fun and interesting and i like just like um i love the interview with aiden fitzpatrick and when he said you know i I like having users have an interesting or useful or positive experience right like that gives him a lot of joy same for me like i love making something that other people when they use it they're like oh wow that's so cool or like brings a smile or like a laugh or does something unexpected that they that they like because i I don't know. You were saying like chaotic, you're using the app as like chaotic, uh, added more chaos to your, your chats. And I sort of like to think of myself as a either chaotic, neutral or good person. Like I like to add more chaos to the world because it's sometimes it feels a little bit stiff and stingy and like, I want to shake things up a little bit, but not like in a bad way, but just like in a (laughs) goofy, goofy, fun, weird, like what is this, what is happening right now way. And, um, it feels like this scratches that itch. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like sending an eyeballs emoji when somebody says something I'm interested in. That's cool. But what's cooler is when I can slap a gigantic uh, cropped out photo <laughs> of my eyeball on top of their uh, <laughs> on top of their message. That yeah. that is chaotic good right there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so all right. So I do I do need to try and wrap this up. Sorry for taking up so much of your time, but I, I want to make sure oh, I get this in is that. great. I love it. I want to make sure I get in that question I always ask everybody. So uh, sure. What's a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend other people check out? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I didn't even touch on this during the whole like Apple phase part of the talk, but um, because I couldn't write apps, I actually started looking into new hobbies because my only <laughs> hobby before was like writing apps when I wasn't at work. Um, so I started learning more like electrical engineering and sort of like home electronics. Oh yeah. That's like a whole topic we never got into that. Yeah. Manufacturing like home manufacturing stuff. Um, and like setting up a workshop and a little bit of like a laboratory and stuff. So I actually started following and like learning from a bunch of people, um, that are like physical hardware or electronics makers. Um, and a couple of those are like Zach Friedman who started a YouTube channel uh, making all these crazy wacky things. Um, the channel stuff made here. There's like, I like to make stuff with Bob Claggett. I think his last name is I'm, I'll send all the links okay. and you know, URLs and stuff for the show notes. Uh, there's another guy, Steven, the robot who like went from zero to creating his own pick and place machine, uh, that he could use on his desktop, uh, and is now selling them as a product, which, oh, wow. I, which is like a super, super cool story. And like series of, videos over the course of like two years of him learning all the things that need to happen and then like learning them and actually putting them into use and creating a thing. It was, it's great. Um, as far as like iOS stuff, I've been really, uh, impressed and inspired by, 
Uh, I don't think I actually know his real name or if it's even on his Twitter account, but it, his handle is Mufasa YC and he makes the task app. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tasks yeah. App, um, which I use a lot and use to like get all of my tasks down for making apps and different projects. Yeah. He's been on the show. That's it's Mu- uh, I'm going to yeah, say yeah. it wrong now. Mustafa. It's not Mufasa, but he's making a joke about Lion King, I think, in his Twitter handle. Yeah. But his real name is... I think it's Mustafa. Yeah, it is. Okay, it's Mustafa. I was right. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, he is He is awesome. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I love seeing the progress that he made. Like, I remember him tweeting out. I, I was just like, I don't know how I found him on Twitter, but I started following him. And he was saying, like, I'm working on this app. I want to make it a, a task related something and just like watching the whole experience and progression and all the updates and like making a Mac app and like putting these things out and just continuing to pour time and energy into it. And it keeps getting better and better. And so that's been a really cool, uh, developer story and like product to follow along with. That's yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, and yeah, those are awesome. I, I randomly will get into these, uh, like physical creator people on YouTube. I can't remember his name, but he's, he's the one who, uh, like he made the basketball hoop that you can't miss and now he makes a bunch of Yeah, that's the that's the stuff made here guy. Oh, yeah. stuff made here. That's his name. Okay. Yeah, yeah. His his delivery, his personality and then the actual things he's making right are like they just like hit the sweet spot of being ridiculously enjoyable to me <laughs> and uh Yeah, yeah. It it kind of gives me that like Mythbusters vibe to a degree. Right. It's just like the end result thing is completely absurd and it almost doesn't matter if he succeeds or not at the end. It's like following his sort of path getting there. That is uh fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I growing up, I watched a lot of like Mr. Wizard and Beekman's world and Bill Nye and like really loved all these sort of like entertaining over the top delivery of like interesting, either scientific or just informational stuff. And I really like that kind of delivery. And a lot of these YouTube creators seem to scratch that itch, you know, or like fill that gap now that there aren't those type of shows uh, on TV as much anymore. And like, I would love to be able to have like some kind of video content that I create for some of my other projects and hope to be inspired by their style. Um, I don't know. Maybe that'll happen one day. Maybe it won't. But, you know, that's another thing that I wouldn't have been able to do while I was working at Apple. But now, like, I have the option, I guess. So we'll see if that ever materializes. But it's on my on my list of things to explore. Oh, man, I will. Uh, I will keep my eye out for that. Um, all right. So I'm going to finally let you go here. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on. This was genuinely just like really, really fun. And uh, a nice way to kick things back off this. I, we talked about this before, but this is the first time I've recorded this year because I had bundled a bunch up and then, uh, you know, some COVID fun and snow days and a bunch of things all came together that kept delaying things. And so uh, this is my, my reintroduction back into recording and I need to get back on uh, keeping them short, but the actual conversations, <laughs> gosh, man, it's just so nice to uh, to hang out with people. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love the long form talk, so it's not a problem for me. But, you know, uh, hopefully people found this conversation enjoyable. But thank you so much for having me on. You know, it's been so long since I've been able to talk publicly with anybody about <laughs> anything, basically. Um, it's really nice. And so I'm hoping to be more involved in the community and you know, either like give some talks when there are conferences that happen or even virtual things or just meet up with people and like re-engage and and be part of the public again, which has been pretty nice so far, but I'm hoping to do even more of that. 
All right. Well, let's end on that note. Uh, hopefully, there will be some sort of in-person something in California in the future. And uh, maybe we can actually meet in person and hang out. Yeah. So, okay. So, before I let you go, where can everybody find you and uh, all your different apps? Yes. So, uh, the main hub, I guess, is on Twitter. My handle is JazzyChad. Um, spelled just like it sounds. And then if you really need a website or something, I have jazzychad.net and I'm sure we'll link all that in the show notes. So that's, that's where I am. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple podcasts, overcast breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched FM. Dot com.